2: Hello and welcome to your post-match raw on AI Pro on Trev Denny. I am podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm glad to be back. It was almost a very different show as it is. It's going to be a very, very, very happy show with little bits of grumbling, no doubt. I am joined by my two colleagues of great insight Mr. Dave Hendrick and Mr. Carl Matchett, who I heard, by the way, along with Guy on the two pods that they did. Uh, oh, sorry, Harry was in the first one. And I heard uh, both uh, Hendrick and uh, Matchett try to replace me live on the air. Not at all, the not air. at all.
3: Not Absolutely. at all. Guy, guy Drinkle tried to, tried to stage a coup. <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard, I, heard, I
2: heard what happened. And, uh, uh
3: <laughs> you, you haven't seen the WhatsApp messages, never, not since Daenerys took control of Westeros, has there been a more flagrant <laughs> grab for power than what we saw from Guy Drinkle last week with his well, with his velvet tongue and uh, you know the the different. Uh, you were very, you were very taken with his uh, with his with his phraseology, I do. Recall. Oh yeah.
2: And, and to be fair to Guy, hats off to the man for stepping in. I do appreciate it very much. But let's get started and get your immediate reactions to what was a chaotic afternoon, a very frustrating afternoon. I was angry for most of it, and then I was just incredibly delirious. And Dave, we've been chatting away there in preparation, just waiting to get ready and and, and basically talking about anything but the game. So I'm looking forward to getting your immediate take on it, because... You could say that there was a lot of things that were done wrong, that went wrong, that Mm -hmm. weren't great. There were a lot of performances that were ropey as all hell. But to come away with a smash and grab like that, I don't care who you are, that is just exhilarating. And it can be a turning point. It can be. But, you know, I'm eager to get your take on, 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 just your immediate take on having snatched those points up.
3: Yeah, like you said, this was a very different podcast half an hour ago, for 76 minutes of the 97 minutes of that game, everything went wrong for us. Everything. Whether it was performances, whether it was the manager's decisions, whether it was the referee, I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking with the referee, everything went wrong for us. And then when it seemed like we'd run out of ideas, when it seemed like we'd exhausted all avenues of the tactical game plan, We threw on Darwin and Jarrell Kwanzaa, and I said at the time, we've now reached the go out there and run around and hope for the best page in the tactics book. But what we'd actually done was we just slammed down on the chaos button, and that's what we saw for the last 15, 20 minutes of the game was just us making things as chaotic as possible for them. And forcing them into very uncomfortable situations that they didn't like being in. And I mean, the goals are basically carbon copies of each other. It's the same kind of slipped ball into that channel and Darwin running onto it. And they are two world-class finishes. The first one is so purely struck and just pings in off the post. And the second one has a lovely bit of culture about it as well. Because he draws Pope and then he puts a bit of lift on the ball as well. But it's in an awkward position where the goalkeeper's not gonna have his arms at that sort of level. He's gonna have them down, or he's gonna have them up. So he's gonna have to move his arm to try and get to it. But again, there's plenty of speed on that ball, it's just the perfect finish. I I don't I don't know how we won the game. I genuinely don't, because we didn't deserve to win the game. We were dreadful for the majority. And somehow, we have come away with three very, very big points from a team that will be a top four rival this season. This uh-huh. is a very good Newcastle team. They've been well coached. They've bought well. They're drilled well. They probably lost that game today more than we actually won it, but that's irrelevant. This is a big, big win for us. And it it's kind of last season we went up there. We went to goal up they had a man sent off and then they kind of dominated us and we were lucky to come away with the win. This time we've gone there. They've gone the goal up. We've had the man sent off. They've dominated us again. And yet somehow we've come away with three points again. The tune is proving to be a bit of a happy hunting ground for us.
2: Well, Clappell's record is outrageous against that club. And, i I think i listened to sky like most people i think uh, drury said it was 2015 was the last time newcastle had won against liverpool and to be honest um there were signs there i think that what you were looking at was a club that's actually been there and done it and bought all the t-shirts and maybe hanging in there and as you say smash the chaos button see what happens and we get away with it but for all the bad stuff, Carl, and there was lots of it, and we'll go into lots of detail about it. Um, I heard, I think I heard Kelly Douglas saying something about Allison making more saves than he ever has in any other Premier League game. That's a worry if that's the case. Uh, maybe it is a, a, a true stat. I don't see why she would throw it out there otherwise. But there were some good things, I mean, in terms of the fact that we had hung in there, even Neville, much to his chagrin, had to admit that it was quite the achievement that Liverpool were still in the game, uh, as in only one down, as we got into, you know, the 70th odd minute. So there was some sort of resilience there. Yes, they were carving out chances, but... I don't know. If overall, maybe that's something that we can lean into. What What What's your just again before we get into all the the gritty nano detail? What's your overall take on walking away there to win two one victors?
4: Um, mostly what you just said right back at the beginning, right? When you, when you get this kind of a result, whether you call it a smash and grab or whether you call it fortunate or clinical or whatever you want to call it, you absolutely take it in these circumstances, especially away from home and especially this early in the season and especially after bad things happen earlier in the game and especially against a rival for the positions that you're going for in the league, right? So you take all of it regardless of whatever happened. But my absolute conviction on this game, this, But what we've just watched over 90 minutes or over 80 minutes more to the point is that if you consider that this is a game that Liverpool stuck in there or or made good decisions down to 10 men or made the right tactical choices or the right approach being a player down or anything like that, you are lying to yourself. That's my feeling here. We were terrible. And I think the decisions made from the coach and staff were wrong all the way through from the red card onwards. And we've got through this by a combination of fortune and grit and, yeah, definitely having resilience in a, a certain group of players. And then at the end, one player who, by how he's been treated over the last months, I would say, by uh, in, in first-team terms, and then what he's been asked to do so far this season, had no real reason other than personal professional pride to come on and do what he did. But he did, and he's pulled it out of the bag somehow, and there was probably... Five players ahead of him who the management wanted to be or thought could be in the position to do that before Darwin's come on today. And only because of Alisson at one end, a few decisions that Newcastle made bad themselves in, in general progression and, and final decision terms. And then those last few minutes is what's got us the points here. I don't think that there's anything else in between. Can I just double check
2: something with you? And again, not in granular detail, but just in a, in a kind of a initial reaction way. Are you of the opinion, because I kind of found myself, that nothing went right up as far as the sending off as well? Or did you think there was something to be said for the balance of that particular team as it was looking? Because I was desperately looking forward to seeing Sabazlay and McAllister and the fact that Endo was in the team, I was hoping would free them up to do their things but what we ended up seeing was him, the 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 most recent addition being one the one sacrificed uh, at one point to substitution and um, McAllister later on as well. But Sabazlai went on just to make all these fantastic decisions and touches. That's the thing I'm taking away from this. Was uh, now I understand what you guys are all on about. I haven't seen him live uh, in the first two games. I only saw highlights and they were they look fantastic. But this is a wonderful footballer. Do you think there was enough there in that opening period before the sending off that we could have possibly clicked into gear? Were you seeing any signs of that looking right or no?
4: Yeah, on the ball. But I think that that's been the same across the first three games this season and into several of last season's final matches as well. On the ball, we look really good. We've got technically good players. They're really clever. They're good contributions in small spaces and we have, you know, creative clinical forwards as well. So yes, I think Sov's line in particular is a great addition for that and it makes the team as a whole look good when we are moving and there's movement ahead of the ball and we start moving it very, very quickly. That's not the problem. It's the other side. It's when we lose possession, it's when the spaces that we're not covering in midfield, which were awful at nil-nil, like before the goal, before the red card, everything, they were they were still there. They were still very, very obvious and present. And Those are the issues that I have. It's not at all about how good this team is in possession or even the mindset to be perfectly honest, because there there was nobody like, you know, giving up or anything like that, even when the worst parts of this match were happening, but it's the arrangement it's the setup. And that's what I think is, is still very, very much lacking. I think it was probably a little bit more balanced today because we didn't see Trent drifting into the central midfield spot straight away. And I don't want to go into it too much. Like you say, just yet, but the decision-making affected things after the red card before that, it was just, you know, individual, uh, technique or decisions, but not uh, not not strategy, let's say. Yeah, I'm seeing the word complacent being thrown around. I think it's an easy one
2: to fire out, but it will be interesting as we go on to see if it does have any merit in terms of the attitude or the attitudinal aspect of the Liverpool team. Speaking of which, Dave, let's do exactly that and look at the Liverpool team. We can't not go to our usual structure now because it is very relevant considering there were some enforced changes, an enforced change and an opportunity for Klopp to do inverted commas, the right thing in terms of midfield. I know listening to both you and Carl during the week uh, uh, and you and your various uh, individual shows, you shared my Slight fear that perhaps he wouldn't um, and that the red card being overturned for McAllister might not necessarily lead him to uh, being able to play in his correct position. But he did go for that with Endo, uh, um, Mac and Dom. We had a front three of Salah, Gakpo and Diaz and Gakpo took his place as, I think, our most natural sort of um, Bobby-like figure there to step in but we hadn't enforced change in terms of a couple of days previous to kick off. We discovered that Ibu Kanate was not fit to start. He has a muscle injury. It's as vague as fuck. We don't know when or where or whatever, uh, which is incredibly frustrating. We saw Joel Matip come in. Now, I don't see that there's a whole lot else that the manager could have done there in terms of his initial selection. I'll certainly start raising eyebrows right up to the ceiling later on when it comes to in-game management. But I think he's probably pretty much gotten it right there. Do you?
3: No, I don't know. I think it would have been better to start Joe Gomez over Joel. And oh. I, know we, I know we've I know we all got concerns over over Joe, uh, Joe Gomez and, and a lot of them are absolutely warranted and I'm sure we'll get into his performance but the thing for me here is one of two things was going to happen in this game either we were going to play the back three where Trent moves into midfield in which case you're asking Joe Gomez or you're asking Joe Matip to defend an enormous amount of space on the right hand side because Andy Robertson just doesn't have it between the ears to play the left side of a back three and thinks he's a left winger so Virgil's going to have to cheat across to cover him. And you're leaving Eboo to base or Joel to do the Eboo role of defending half the pitch, which is just unacceptable. He's not quick enough, he's not sharp enough to do that kind of thing. But Joe Gomez is. The other option is we play the back four. But you know they're going to have a pacey a pacey left winger to run at Trent. And all they're going to try and do is run at Trent. They're going to try and put Gordon or Barnes, whichever it was going to be, in behind Trent over and over again. And again, I think Joe Gomez is just a better covering defender, getting across to help his fullback. Joel Matip leaves Trent to do that 1v1. Gomez has always been better at helping Trent, even pre-injury, go back to the title-winning season. Gomez was brilliant at covering Trent and allowing Trent to play that bit higher. So I would have rather seen Joe Gomez start next to uh, Virgil. I wanted to see... Darwin start because that Newcastle defense last season was the best in the league. But Kieran Trippier, Fabian Schar, Sven Botman, and Dan Byrne are all a touch on the slower side. You put balls in behind them, and that's when you can have trouble. And that's how we got our goals today. Playing the ball in behind them and using speed to get to get to them. Mm. If you play in front of them, which is what Cody's going to do. They're very, very comfortable. And when Cody was the nine, Botman looked like an absolute Rolls Royce. When Darwin came on, he shot himself because he, he's not comfortable turning to deal with that kind of speed. I could understand the Gakbo choice without question. I, I could see the logic in it. But I, I wanted to see Darwin start because I wanted that pace to go in behind. But I, I kind of disagree with Carl. Before the red card, I thought we genuinely just looked all over the place, even in possession. It was very, very sloppy. There was lads taking up really odd positions that didn't sync with what other people were doing. Andy Robertson seems to have one thought in his mind when he gets the ball, which is just get by the man and, and whip a cross in, no matter who or what is in the box. At one point, he crossed, he threw a cross in when we had Mo and, Dar- Mo and Dominic in there and they had four defenders and their goalkeeper. And Robbo just cr- crossed it blind into the box. I didn't think we looked at all well set up. I didn't think, think we looked well coached. I think we, we looked like a group that just turned up and hoped for the best. Well, and that's, we, that's been my issue in all the games so far. We'll yeah, absolutely, we, yeah, we, we don't we'll ab- look like we've got a real plan, a real identity. And you hear Lindas talk about how they're embracing street football. Oh, fuck. It's the biggest sort of nonsense I've ever fucking heard. It doesn't matter what you do, what you're embracing. You still have to have defined patterns of play. You still have to have automated things that you can go to just to get you out of trouble, just to keep the other team honest. You can't have everything be off the cuff. That's just silly. Sometimes,
2: sometimes, Dave, I think we'd be better off with one of the... um, What Bob Mortimer calls destroy and exit, sort of gammon management lads in assisting uh, Kloppo. Because what you want is a caution first approach. What you want is a defence first approach. And then let all those wonderful attackers do their thing. They don't need your help. They don't fucking need your help. They'll work it out. They always do. Good footballers do. When you've got good footballers. Football is a very
3: simple game, Trev. It's a very simple game. If you think back of the best teams that we have seen in our lifetimes, they made the game beautifully simple and they did the same things over and over and over again like even with Barcelona with the, the tiki tacky era so much of what they did you can find clips of the exact same string of passes from 50 different games things that they've just worked on that they've committed to memory they're not doing it off the cuff yes there's individual moments of genius with Messi and with Iniesta of course there is but so much of how they've built up is stuff that they've just routinely committed to memory. And, you know, the great United team that dominated, it was the same thing with them. The great Liverpool team that dominated in the 80s, the same thing with them. Saki's Milan, whichever team you want to go to, there's, there's fundamental simplicity in their game. But unfortunately, there's a group of pseudo-intellectual intellectual dickheads who've tried to make the game far too complicated And unfortunately, it seems like Jürgen has bought into some of what's being sold by a fella in his ear, because the team that we've seen until those late changes when we just went complete chaos, it doesn't resemble a Jürgen Klopp team. The team that played Bournemouth didn't resemble a Jürgen Klopp team until Klopp just went, this is not working, and moved back to a 4-3-3. And then we started to resemble ourselves. The same against Chelsea. At no point in that Chelsea game did we look like a Jürgen Klopp team.
1: and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And that was my
3: big concern last season, and it's my biggest concern now, is we don't look like a team that is coached by Jurgen Klopp. Now, a Jurgen I, Klopp team, you can close your mind, you can close your eyes, and you can picture a Jurgen Klopp team. Yeah, you know what it's like. This isn't one of them. Uh,
2: as the absolute unquestioned conspiracy theorist king of AI, I uh, applaud what is a, a, appears to be a remarkable effort on your part to gazump me there with the Linder stuff. But I don't think there's a, that's I'm, I'm being facetious because I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about what you're saying. Uh, Carl, I want to give you your, 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 your chance to comment on the LFC team as well. <clears throat> and then you might lead into telling us a little bit about Newcastle, who, to be fair, uh, the turnaround is so stunning. I, I heard the points thing. it was uh, They finished like 43 points behind us the season before last and what was a four ahead of us last season. Now, I, I don't buy into that turnaround fully because a lot of that is on Liverpool Falling apart last season. However, you can't argue with the, the leaps and bounds um, progress that they have made. And today they went with um, Nick Pope, they went with Trippier, Sharp, Botman, and Byrne, Tanali, Gamares, and Joe Linton all of whom I thought were excellent. Uh, uh, Joe Linton was particularly fantastic because he brought his I can't get a yellow card today uh, hat and wore it throughout the game. Uh, Almiron, Izak and Gordon at various times, much as it pains me to say it about that little rat from Everton, were fantastic too. And they did well with their subs also. They have a strong squad there that they're building. In again, it pains me to say what appears to be the right way. So if you wouldn't mind just walking us through what you think is was good about them and what they looked like and what was bad. But again, if you want to just react to the Liverpool team, if there's anything you think Dave and I didn't cover off there, feel free.
4: No, I think most of that covered. Um, like we said on scouted, I was in favour of Nunez staff for a variety of reasons today. Um, first and foremost, the, the running in behind of them. Um I don't really think there were too many other choices, you know, Matip or Gomez. People have different preferences based on what they want to see from a defender, and especially on that side. So uh, I would be more in the Gomez camp at this point, and I think probably across the game that they both played, I think he was marginally better. But to be honest, there's been such minimal football for both of them of late. I think you know the last time Matip got a, a run of a couple of games in a couple of weeks was basically February. So. I don't, again I don't think you can take a huge amount from a single performance uh, in isolation um, for Newcastle all is expected to be fair in terms of their, their lineup the only questions they had was of you know fitness of one or two players like Joel was, was going into this weekend with uh, a bit of a knock Gordon had been I, I think a bit hit and miss in the in the opening couple of games like decent in terms of ball carrying but the usual stuff of uh, decision making and that from him at the end of it obviously today he Looked a bit better in that regard, and so too did Almiron, To be honest, who hasn't been amazing at the start of this season in the first couple of games, despite some really good moments, let's say. Um, but overall, I have to agree with the two things that have already been mentioned. One, I think they're recruiting well. They're not recruiting, you know, in terms of really, really scattergun. We spoke about the the level of purchases that they're making, maybe over purchasing, uh, sorry, overspending on individual players a little to get them in but not wildly so and probably in a way that allows them to get that next level of player that they want in each of those positions, but also to have them for for quite a while. You know, these are not players that they're just bringing in who are going to be one or two seasons and then they haven't really got any use for them after that. I think people like uh, Barnes and Livermento, whoever else is, they can can rely and they can build on them for quite a few seasons in a row. Um, So very, very good coaching, pretty decent recruitment so far very well structured to give themselves a base and then play off that which was something we spoke about before the game Uh, and I think we saw that again in action today Now
2: Dave I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about Newcastle as we go through unless there's something that's like uh, is there anything there that's like uh, grinding your gears that you need to mention?
3: No, no, not at all just that Anthony Gordon Anthony Gordon looks like Claire Balding and Rod you know despite the fact he scored a goal today he's still shite I
2: I can't get on board the Anthony Gordon abuse train quick enough, to be perfectly honest with you. However, we're going to pause it just there because we can come back to that. What we should do, and I think people will be disappointed if we don't, is ref watch.
3: Yeah.
2: Now, I'm looking at this John Brooks lad. John Brooks, who, if you don't know, was the fellow who saw Cody Gakpo assaulted, saw the stud marks on his chest and still did nothing as he's comically showing them to him as Alison is trying to display what physics means to John Brooks. This is the John Brooks who uh, decided today to completely ignore a call, a blatant foul by Gordon on Trent Alexander-Arnold. And when he threw the ball away in a little bit of a strop, he gave him a yellow card. And, of course, that changes the balance of everything. And I, I think these factors are very, very important. This is the John Brooks who, for some reason... Uh, decided that it was absolutely a Van Dyke red card and it was absolutely a scoring opportunity, although I'm not 100% sure that's as nailed on as everybody thinks. So today we had another fella who was doing his damnedest to be the center of attention, a fella who looks like if you got a, an angst-ridden middle management su- supermarket guy, and if he had a child with... Simon from the in betweeners. that's what you get, John Brooks. That's what we're dealing with today. Another lad who just looks a little bit out of his depth. And I'm being very kind. I want to give you both a chance to respond. We don't have to get into the details of the various incidents because they're coming up in a second as we go uh, blow by blow through the match. But again, I've got my tinfoil hat on. And I'm starting to think one after another after another Mm -hmm. as I watch these things, as I I watch Mo Salah be assaulted season after season and nothing Mm -hmm. given. As I watch Joe Linton batter around the pitch today, elbowing lads, coming in through lads, nothing. He got a warning from Simon from the in-betweeners as an adult and still nothing the next three or four or 17 times that he did it. So I'm going to give you both a chance to give a a response to this guy today, because hopefully we won't have to talk about him as an individual after this, because the decisions are what they are. And we'll talk about them individually. But Dave, I mean, it just has that bang, doesn't it? Like when you knew that that Hatsodakis elbowing prick was on VAR again, despite Mm. the ridiculousness of last week and the overturned um, red card
3: there just has a,
2: i've i've got a bad feeling about it man reassure me that i'm not being paranoid
3: i don't think you are um we we got a red card overturned from last week which is a source of great embarrassment for any referees and then you follow that on with mike dean mm. going on multiple platforms and and not just you know, doubling down on a story that he told, which, you know, looked bad on the PGMOL, but continually digging a big hole and dragging oh, all his mates into he, it. He, he, br- he brought his best spade for that. But, he, but he, was, he, the, he highlighted something that we have highlighted on this podcast in the past. These referees and these VARs, they're all mates. They work together, they train together, they're mates. These lads don't want to make their mates look bad. It's it's why we're sending referees to the screen. It's like, oh, maybe you should go and have a look at that so it looks like you're overturning your own decision because I don't want to embarrass you. Part of this is, and there's been multiple stories about this, a couple of the more senior referees, the fellas that do the Champions League, we know the type, confronting younger referees at the PGMOL headquarters about how they could dare question a decision that they'd made or overturn a decision that they'd made. So so you've got that aspect of it. You've got the aspect of not wanting to make your mates look bad. And I'll tell you here and now, if the referee that sent off Alexis last week had been a senior referee, it would not have been overturned. But because it was one of the more junior referees, it was overturned. But it made the PGMOL look bad, and it especially made the VAR look foolish. So I had a feeling we were in for a couple of retributional decisions today. I did not think we'd see. Let's take the Virgil one just out of it for a second, briefly because that, though, because, because we because do that, want that's to go into a it big in detail, decision. Yeah. But that's a big decision, right? So take the big decision out of it for a sec. There's probably. 20 small decisions that the referee has to make in that game. And every single one of them he makes in favour of Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Starting with the Trent yellow card. I'm sorry, he's been bundled off the pitch. He throws the ball. He doesn't throw it away. He throws it back onto the pitch. In no way does that constitute the violation of that rule. And in You're no right. way that be like, right. He's he's off the pitch. He's that's off the pitch. But he throws it back onto the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not a yellow card. And then, like you said, there's the well, first of all, the Newcastle Bench all coming to ask for cards. Oh. That, by the way, that is a card. So how are Tyndall and Eddie Howe not booked in that scenario? Then you've got the Jolington thing, where he, he commits like eight or nine fouls. And just continually gets away with it because he's a big, dumb house. I mean, it really should be said, the guy's not very good. He's not very good. He came to the Premier League as a £40 million striker. He flopped. He's not technically very good. He's just big and he runs a lot. So you put him in midfield and he gets through a load of graft. And he's a bit of a character. And it's he's basically Aaron Ramsdale in midfield. He's a big shithouse. <laughs> so there's that, right? <laughs> Let's move on then. There's a moment in the first half where I think we have a corner. It could have been a free kick. It might, I think it was a corner. And Mo is at the back post. And the ball comes across. And Mo gets a tug on his shirt and throws his arms up in the air. Nothing is given. Dominic somehow gets the ball. Gets fouled. Gets tugged to the floor. Manages to retain possession. Gets fouled again. Gives it to Alexis. He's then pulled out of. No, still no free kick given to Liverpool. They win the ball back. Tanali goes up. Joe Gomez goes in to make a challenge. Tanali dives. Instant free kick for Newcastle. That all happened in about eight seconds, where three of our lads had their shirts pulled and nothing was given. One of theirs threw himself on the ground and it's an immediate free kick. And you have to start asking questions on the big decisions are the big decisions and I'm not going to get into whether or not referees conspire about big decisions. What they do is, it's where I can see favoritism is those little decisions. Like, Joelington been allowed five, six, seven fouls. I'm sorry, he should have been booked after the third foul. And then that alters how he plays. And he now has to play his game in a different way. And that affects the entirety of how Newcastle operate.
2: In the same way that Trent's, the decision against Trent influenced how he played. It, and
3: Trent gets booked after three minutes. That, and, that and, massively and, impacts his game.
2: And the crowd, it influenced the crowd. Because yeah. the thing about Newcastle fans is like, they're incredibly partisan. They're very loud. They have no concept of, of any no notion of irony. They, they they see their lads kicking lads up in the air. And then, um, you know, they're they they they're outraged when a foul is given. They, they, you know, I, I I don't want to insult people from Newcastle, but like some of the crowd reactions are that. They go way beyond partisan, is my point. So yeah, but that actually, place was an absolute cauldron after. It was. Instance, yeah. in Look,
3: in the, the thing with, with Newcastle, Trev, is that they've been through years and years and years of shit up there with Mike Ashley, you know, the majority of Newcastle's fans have never seen their team win anything. So they're just desperate for any type of success. So they've embraced the sports washing, they've all bought their Saudi Arabia jerseys and all the rest. And you know, when your mother and father are brother and sister, it's very hard to really slag people off, you know? <laughs> so we'll just let them do their thing. You know, they can high six each other and do all of that good stuff. <laughs> and then they can (laughs) go home and do whatever it is they do So
2: just a bit of squinting a bit of squinting at each other as the night goes on, Carl I want to bring you in on this because I do want to give you an opportunity to have a a reaction to the ref because God love him Uh, he seems to fit right into this identikit shit ref profile, he has this air around him of angst Of being out of his depth, uh, occasionally asserting himself in one of those kind of pathetic looking ways that lads do. And you see it in real life as well. I just I don't think I know it sounds like I'm being very harsh on him and I'm not coming in two footed with no reason. I was just thoroughly under underwhelmed and unimpressed by this lad as an official, as a Premier League official, take away the whole bias concept against Liverpool in terms of his decisions today, he just looks like a lame duck out there and I just, I'm just i sick of it man and between that and PGMOL and the whole stitch up between them and VAR and the clear need for a, 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 a sort of a break between the, the, the two things, a, a separate agency running that show it's hard not to feel a lot of discomfort and annoyance isn't it around the whole level of officiating take it back to john brooks if you like just before we get into the game itself
4: i i'm not going to take it back to john brooks because to be perfectly honest i'm bored about talking about each individual one and saying the same thing but i think the bigger factor here is exactly what you've just said it's a bit of an identikit of shit referees and this is the big problem right People Because it's not just that they are not good to begin with. It's the fact that they are not good. And then we keep seeming to try and find ways to allow them to make more decisions at which they're not good at. So bringing in, you know, the rules of the yellow card for, you know, taking three and a half seconds for a throw in or whatever it is. I get the theory behind them, but you're asking people who are already not doing a good job. To do an extra job, which they're not going to do well, which they're not going to do consistently, which they're not going to do the same as the guy ref in another match 25 miles down the road. It's just makes it all so frustrating to watch week after week when the same things result in completely different outcomes. And exactly what you said, like it altered the approach that Trent had to have in his game. And like today, like Liverpool's start in 11, I think made seven fouls between them. Mm. Newcastle's Charlton and Gilmourish made eight between them, not counting the rest of the team. They've already made more fouls than us. They didn't get a yellow card all game long, all game long. Even when you know the the, the fans are like howling for Liverpool to get on with the game and blah blah blah, because they're winning one nil and somehow they think that they need to score another goal quickly, again completely missing the point of the game management, which they epically failed that today. But then later on. When Newcastle do want to try and start hurrying things up and then he's telling Liverpool to get a move on with the game. There's, there's never any consistency in this. We've seen it for years and years and years where goalkeepers will take like, you know, a minute and a half to take a goal kick and the fans will be on them from like the 25th minute. And then when it's 88 minutes, then the ref will go and have a word with about a minute and a half left on the clock. We've seen it for so, so long. And now it's like an overcorrection the other way. And they're still not any good. This is the point. You keep bringing in more rules for them to, to you know, try and, and stamp their authority on the game, but their authority isn't good. Their decision-making isn't good. The consistency isn't good. So it's just more of bad stuff, which we keep seeing in games.
2: I can't argue with any of that. and I think it's really well put, actually. And I'm going to stay with you to start the game because we might as well get into the details of it. Now, I want to bring up with myself and yourself, we'll go right up as far as where we go one down and then we're going to come to a natural pause because the red cards are after that. And don't worry, Carly, you'll get your chance to comment on that too. Um, but I thought we made in the initial seconds, a great start. So like very prominent. We won a corner, um, He won a corner uh, from which Joel Mathub headed over the top from a Trent kind of outswinger. A yellow card on five minutes occurred for Trent. And that's the first of those decisions we talked about because Gordon had come through him. It was a foul there. I'm sorry, but it's not even up for grabs. This is not partisan. This is just fucking clear Uh, it's a clear foul on Trent Alexander arnold and anyone who says otherwise hasn't a fucking clue or is ridiculously partisan he threw the ball away Dave has now pointed out the fact that he was off the field when he did it so it shouldn't count as a yellow card offence unless our man um, Simon from the in betweeners is getting very, very uh, sort of upset about uh, displays of petulance. In which case, perhaps he should have had a look at all the Newcastle fellas crying in his face throughout the game. There is then following after that a trend foul on Gordon. Pretty much the same type of one as the one he had received. Maybe a little bit more arm involved from Trent. And of course, we are left then with Beyond Cauldron. We have a lad who had picked up a yellow card and now they all want him off. All those lads in the stand, all those squinty boys want him off. And it's beyond heated at this point. And that's all arising from a stupidly bad decision from the referee at the start. Uh, to be fair to Trent, I thought a couple of minutes later, I think it was about seven minute mark, he had a 1v1 against Gordon and he was class. He did really well. They were all giddy. They were excited. Oh, here's Gordon running at Trent and he did really well uh, and in a 1v1 and won it. Uh, I'm looking at Eddie Howe and 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 Dave mentioned this earlier on Carl uh between him and his little cheerleader assistant there I mean fucking hell, what a pair uh, Eddie Howe look like, he look like, he just has this I understand that people want to praise a lad who's doing reasonably well, who's like a, a, an English guy trying to make his way in the game because apparently that's rare. I, I don't whatever. Uh, but I've never really bought into the Eddie Howe thing. To me, he just looks like a seven-year-old who's been force-fed with growth hormone. And he just has this, uh, gr- like, uh, he's constantly angry, Eddie. He, he he made a point of saying he'd never be a friend any manager, including Jurgen Klopp. And this is in the week when Jurgen's saying that oh, he's a wonderful coach, he's done a super job. He just doesn't even understand the Bob Paisley thing of giving a bit of toffee, uh, for one for the older ones there. Anyway, the the match rolls on. There's a token Izak shot, I think, after about 15 minutes. Gordon has an effort on uh, a bit a minute later, a um, uh, bit of a token effort as well. It's straight at Ali. We have an opportunity, a great ball by Dan Sabaz, like to Diaz, who makes a fantastic run. His shot is saved, leads to a corner, nothing arises from that. On the 19 to 20 minute mark, I'm looking at Endo and I'm thinking, he's doing a few bits here. Foot-ins, simple balls. OK, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt because this is a very, very difficult atmosphere to be playing in. Joel Matip's distribution, I've noticed at this point, was, as we say in Ireland, wagon. I mean, absolutely appalling. From the kickoff, the very first touch he got was a shit pass. And it continued all the way through. Then we saw Endo give a nervous ball in the 23rd minute. Um, but to be fair, he followed up with a good defensive header on the 24th. I think that very much summed up his game a little bit kind of nervous looking, but did enough good stuff, I would have thought, um, to be pl- positive overall. And there was a little chance on 23 where Moe cut in and had his Mo shot at Pope uh, on 23 minutes. But a minute later, we are a goal down. It is Gordon. And it is Trent, who had done well early on, 1v1 with him. But this time he miscontrols a pass back to him from Mo. Now, to be fair to the kid, it's on his left foot. But also to be fair to the kid, he's one of the most talented footballers in the world. He should have enough about him to control it. He doesn't. He miscontrols it. Gordon's lurking on his shoulder. He uh, pounces after the miscontrol. Advances on Ali, Ali comes out towards him and he kind of finishes underneath him. To be fair, you couldn't say they didn't deserve to be one up, but I don't think they were exactly dominant either. I'm really interested to get your take in the first 24, 25 minutes.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, kind of as I said before, like we did start all right. I think in terms of the build-up play, um, there were a few you know sharp exchanges and looked to get a few runners in behind early on. Um there wasn't loads, you know. There was a few like little moments from Diaz, Soberslay and Salah mostly. Um there were a few nice build-ups uh, passing through sort of central midfield that didn't really go anywhere because we didn't have too much movement ahead. But off the ball, nothing nothing very good in my opinion. Um not great spaces in midfield again and really, really High upfield for at least two who were ahead of play who didn't need to be all the time, whether it was one of the midfielders and a fullback or two of the two of the eights or whatever it was there was there was always it seemed a much much bigger gap, and then about three black and white shirts around one red than there needed to be, especially at that stage of the game, especially away from home and all the rest of it so from kickoff, I was not particularly enamored with with how we set up off the ball again um I, look I don't think that there's any 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 blame on Salah here at all? Even if it's not the most accurate or well-weighted pass in the world, it's just a normal pass, and there are 25 of those a match to most players. And Trent would control that in his sleep. He just just had his foot a little bit too high. That was all it was to it. It was a a total mistake, and we got punished by it. Um, I don't think it was a red card. Uh, for a second yellow card, obviously. I don't think it should have been a, a first yellow card for Trent because again, it should have been a Liverpool free kick. But the second one, I don't think there was enough blocking force anything at all there was no tug back there It was an arm but it wasn't like a a stopping momentum one or anything like that was not much of anything for that second Trent foul so I think the non-second yellow was the right decision Uh, um, but yeah the, the rest was just a complete shambles from us in terms of spacing and and the alignment obviously wasn't good again I know it's Matip's been there before and we've played that defense a lot before but like I said he hasn't played hardly anything since February. So mm, this was always unlikely to be a very well-drilled defensive outfit. And I think that we saw plenty of evidence of that in the first 25 or so.
3: Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Literally no doubt about that. We talked about the the, the conceding of the goal. I think that's a perfect example of it. But also there were other moments too. And, And Dave... What follows within two, three minutes is the red card for Virgil, and that's obviously where we're going to go. And what we'll do is we'll um, walk through the rest of the first half because I'm I'm watching the clock and, and Jesus Christ, obviously I'm back because we've gone long already and I don't want to go too long. But um, bear with me as I run through the rest of the first half. And if there's anything you want to mention, do. And then we'll go back to this red card, which is such a central incident. Obviously, it happens on the 27th minute. Izak's through and goal. Virgil challenges him. He seems to play the ball, but then it looks like he plays Izak's leg first. Uh, it goes to VAR and it is given as a red card. Was it a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity? That is the question. I think if it was us, we'd be arguing absolutely our players in on goal. I did see Carragher making a point that, yeah, but he's, he's kicked him up in the air. So he couldn't score. I don't know. He, he was, it was a bit daft what he was saying. But I, I I'm I'm open to conversation on this. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And we'll finish with that. But if you wouldn't mind just humoring me so we can get through the uh, actual bits and pieces of the show first, we'll finish with that and I'll go back to Carl to give him his take as well. The rest of the first half goes like this. 31 minutes, Ali takes a really good um, uh, possession of the ball from a, a knotted back corner. It goes to the back post, it's not a back, Ali takes it. 32 minutes, we have a sub. Uh Joe Gomez comes on for Luis Diaz. I know you're gonna want to talk about this because Diaz goes off and he's looking like, hang on a fucking minute, what's this about? Because I would have thought, I'll be honest with you, Dave, I would have thought the obvious sub was uh to take Trent off who was yellow carded and going to be run out for the rest of the game and put Joe Gomez on. It's the Gomez thing I I I see. Luis Diaz off who had shown himself to be bright and lively and has already scored a goal I'm not sure about that one great covering block by Endo on 35 minutes important stuff Uh, it was against Tonali I believe 35 minutes Ali pulls off an absolute fucking wonder save from al who has a volley well Strictly speaking, it's a half-volley onto the bar. He touches, uh, Ali touches it onto the bar. But the point isn't that he touches it onto the bar. It's the strength of Ali's wrists. One of the insults you used to give to go- goalies back in the day was chocolate wrists, right? They didn't have the strength to get their hand to the ball and then have that be enough. Ali is they're just like iron wrists. It's unbelievable. It's a fantastic save. Touches onto the post. Again, gets up and manages to push it out for a corner. He is so good, this lad. It's unbelievable. He deserves all the trophies in the fucking world. Alisson Becker. 37 minutes, Ali punches away. Almiron shoots well over. There's some sensible possession ball by us. I thought in that period, Endo did quite well. Drew a foul at one point in a very uh, professional football away that I was very pleased by. On 45 minutes, Dom has a long-range free kick, but it's well over the top. Possibly Trent should have had a go at it. Four minutes were added. We had a corner. Nothing came from it. And Joe Linton was making infinity fouls at this stage. Uh, we've already talked about that, so we don't need to go back to it. If there's anything in what I've spoken about there, and I know there'll be at least one in the Luis Diaz sub, feel free to talk about it. But we should also talk, you and I, about the red card. And Carl, be thinking here, if there's anything that you, it's not covered off by by myself there or by Dave, and what he says, feel free to jump in uh, towards the end.
3: Right. So not a whole lot really happens. From the red card to halftime, like there's there's, a, there's moments, but there's nothing outside of the Allison save that really looked like a big big chance for either team. And it is a phenomenal save. And I'm also glad that you did uh, clarify that it's a half volley, not a volley. And for those of you on Twitter saying it's a volley, it's not. Please learn your definitions. You obviously never played headers and volleys as young fellas during your wasted childhoods. Anyway. Um, I I still don't understand the decision to take off Diaz for Gomez. For me, the obvious change was taking off Gakpo for Gomez. Not Trent? No, not Trent. Because you take off Trent, who plays right back? Gomez does. But who plays centre-back next to Matip? Because Virgil's gone.
2: That's where I was saying, surely at that point, you would make two changes,
3: right? Well, well, yeah. You could have made a second change, but then, I mean, then you're starting to eat into substitutions early on. For me, the the, ch- the easy change was Gakpo, yeah, because it okay. was very clear we went four okay. four one. Agree we with put you. Mo up top, we put Dominic on the right and we put Gakpo on the left. And Gakpo has no pace, so we need an outlet and we don't have one. If you if you had left Gakpo up front and put Mo right and Dominic left, I would have said, right, well, this makes a bit more sense. Because Gakbo Gakbo can play back to goal, can hold the ball up and can let us get out and let us breathe a bit. But if you're putting Mo up front, then one of your wide players has to be a real outlet that you can hit it long into the corners and have them run onto it, take the game, slow it down, take some sting out of it, let us get out, let us breathe a bit. And all Gakbo wants to do is come short and come short and come short and give it short. And he's not impacting the game and Diaz prior to the substitution prior to the red card Diaz had definitely been making more of an impact on the game than Cody had he'd started the game much better he has started this season in much better form and I think he rightly looked pissed when he went off I mean you could have taken off Trent I suppose put Gomez right back moved Endo to center back and gone with you know a a Dominic Alexis double pivot Mo and Diaz wide and Gakpo front. You could have done that either, which we kind of started moving to later in the game when we went with a more attack minded midfield. But I, I thought Klopp got that wrong. I thought it was the wrong substitution, and it allowed them even more of the control that they were looking for. Um, the red card is just—I—I I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm watching it over and over again as we're talking. I've been watching it over and over again, and I still don't know. Jim Beglin on the the US feed that I watched, he said he thought the foul was Virgil's left foot on Isaac's back foot, not the right foot that comes across and plays the ball. But I, 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 it, it kind of seems it can happen simultaneously. Is is Jim
2: not overly complicating things? Because what seems to happen from the shit replays that Sky had, and I be I mean shit yeah, for are- lads for lads who can show goals from seventy nine different angles, all of a sudden when it comes to something controversial which might involve the PGMOL fucking hierarchy, they've got nothing. And what happened was it looked as if. There's a sweeping motion of the leg. Gary Neville said it was silly by by Virgil. A sweeping motion of the leg to come across, which you do when you want to play a ball. You sweep your fucking leg towards it. But it looked as if he had made contact with that ball playing leg with the striker's leg first. And I have kind of come to accept that. My only issue around it is, is it a clear goal-scoring opportunity? Which, again, I don't think I have a leg to stand on by saying no, because the kid is in on goal. Uh, it's hard to argue. So it, my issue is, I still have to see a definitive replay of this, mm. which shows me what happened. And now you have to confuse me
3: further see, by saying... that's the thing. And, yeah. like, like, I agree with you, like... The, the thing is, here's, here's the thing. Ifzak isn't in control of the ball, because Isaac never touches the ball. He never makes contact with the ball. So he's not in control of it. We don't know what his first touch is going to be. Oh, that's fair. Is his first touch perfectly into stride, and he hits it with a second touch? Does his first touch bobble off his ankle and go wide and force him wide, in which case Virgil is side by side with him? Is his first touch just a little heavy, and Virgil gets between him... And the goal, I I, I don't know. I, I, like, I can see why the red card is given. I can, genuinely. I can see why the red card is given. And I'd also like to point out, like the double jeopardy rule is if you get a penalty and the player has made a legitimate attempt to play the ball, then it can't be a red card. So Virgil would not have been sent off in that instance in the box it would have been a penalty in a yellow card, but because it's outside the box, that's why the referee can give him a red. Mm. I just goal scoring opportunity in that scenario is difficult for me because number one, Isaac is right footed and that ball is coming on to his left side. He's not nearly as good a striker of the ball with his left foot. And number two, he does have a defender sort of goal side. Like he's, He's going to have to beat Virgil one way or another. Either it's his first touch and, the, and a, a quick burst of two steps, and that's what beats him, or he's going to have to try and get round him. I, I don't know. It's It's very, very annoying. What annoys me more, though, is how we ended up in that situation. It's just, it's poor again from Trent. It's really poor again from Trent on Gordon. Like the goal. And... To me, in that early spell, Trent's attitude and his mentality stank. After the yellow card, he just seemed to lose the run of himself. He seemed to go completely into his own head and got all frustrated and got started overthinking everything. And like, Anthony Gordon is shit. And he was having great joy against Trent.
2: Dave, have used the phrase during the week on uh, your show where you said about Klopo, and it's a phrase I'm like I, I fond of myself. You said basically, I think it was Klopo you were talking about, it was, uh, he was very much in his feelings. Hmm. And I noticed with great joy. Uh, how Trent reacted to the win in the end and he was a very relieved man and he was aggressively celebrating um, in front of the Newcastle fans and you you don't deny any red an opportunity to do that regardless of what's happened before Uh, it's lovely to see but I do think the emotional thing is an interesting angle and again i don't want you to go into great detail on this because I, again i'm kind of clock watching i want to get back to carl to talk about the rest of the or the rest of the game start of the second half or most of the second half up to the goal but i do want to ask you this really quickly I was someone who was very much in favor of binning off this fucking ridiculous system of inverted fullback Trent hybrid shit and letting Trent continue to be a world class fullback in a way that was reinventing the game in a way in which he was elevating that position to a situation where... People like Gary Neville and, and and Carragher were having crack about how nobody ever wants to be Gary Neville, but they want to be a Trent. That was what was happening. And now the kid looks like all of the stuff that has been said to him about his shit defending or he can't defend or he's not great in defense it seems to have taken root, and now he's like this. Oh, but I'm I'm a midfielder. I'm a maybe mm. I should be some sort of a, 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 a libero, perhaps, or or perhaps I'm a, a regista or some other fucking stupid title. And it seems to have gotten in on his head because, like you said, he didn't do the basics right. It was fucking really hard to think. But again, maybe we should give him a bit of a break here because he did have that stupid yellow card given to him early on.
3: See, that's the thing. The the yellow look. We've we've seen this with Trent multiple times in the past, where something goes against him early in a game, and he just gets rattled, and it he gets into his own head, and he he just makes irrational decisions. And so maybe that's what happened. But like, I do think there is an aspect of it where Trent might feel like he's outgrown the right back position, and he wants to play in midfield. And I do think there's a way we can do that. But it is not moving him from right back into midfield during the game. No. It is starting him in midfield. It it also involves signing a a very, very high quality right back. Right back, exactly. And playing a back four with Trent next to a holding midfielder. Exactly. And then Alexis and Dominic in advanced roles where they also drop out wide. We lose possession and playing two up front.
2: There you go. That's the dream. Why is that so difficult for everyone to fucking get?
3: Like, I, it, it's right there for us. We are a holding midfield. See, the thing is, as things stand for me, we need a holding midfielder on a left back. So then you start adding a right back to it as well and we know Jürgen's a little bit precious about, you know, too much change. Doesn't like too much change. Doesn't like to make signings unless they're the right signing. And I'm not going to get into the whole Jürgen versus the ownership debate because everybody's to blame here, but at the same time, I think Jurgen is hesitant to make the Trent move into midfield full time because realistically to buy a right back who's going to be up to snuff for us is going to be very expensive. Like Tino Livermento just went to Newcastle for thirty-five million this summer. Mm. Kid has barely kicked a ball in a year after Torn ACL, year and a half after Torn ACL, and prior to that was an eighteen year old in his first season in the league. So you know, without the the geniuses like Edwards and, and Ian Graham to find these players, I'm not sure we have the the efficient um, protocols and processes in place to to fully address our needs. So, for for one more season, it might just have to be that Trent has to roll right back, and maybe next year he gets his move. But if that's going to be the case. His attitude and his mentality are going to need to improve.
2: Also, give him a dig out and buy a fucking defensive midfielder, you tits. Uh, Let's get on to the second half card. You're going to have to do some heavy lifting here, brother, uh, because we're going to go all the way up as far as the equaliser, and I want to give you a chance to talk about that. In that second half, and maybe it's not so um, onerous of a duty, Gordon did have a few dangerous runs at Trent, down that left hand side of their attack our right hand side of defence a couple of crosses in that first minute or two a great clearance on the second one actually I don't know if it was Joel or, or or Gomez who did it Um, on 49 minutes there was a definite chance Joel Linton put a ball across from that side again Almiron lifted it well over it was a great chance if we're being perfectly honest badly missed by Almiron that was three I think in four minutes from that side and it point out what we've just been talking about, Dave and I, in terms of how they sort of decided let's run a trend. Cause like, what? fuck me. Like, I mean, any basic amateur coach would have come up with that devastating plan. Never mind. Um Man, baby, uh, how yellow on 50 minutes for Trippier. Amazing. A yellow card for a Newcastle player. He came through the back of McAllister. Pressure for them, of course, continued. We then did some subs. We brought on Jota and Harvey Elliott for Endo and Cody Gakpo. Okay, so we're going to give you an opportunity to talk about this, and maybe you might factor this into your comments, Carl, the the Klopp substitutions, because we're going to have to give him his, his dues at the end because he does bring on Darwin, but a lot of us thought he should have been on earlier. A lot of us thought he should have started, so it's interesting, but, you know, Harvey Elliott's involved. Jada's involved in the reasons why we've won the game. So, again, let's have some balance here. Give a little bit of credit where it's due. There was a decent counterattack by us. Jada missed his cross. He had men inside him. I think Salah, at least two others. Um, I was a bit disappointed by that. Um, Some lovely bits by Dominic and by McAllister in this period of time, sort of between 55 and 65. Decent ball retention. There was a couple of lovely little sort of volley exchanges between them on our left-hand side of midfield. Just These guys are class. They're class acts. Get the fucking defensive midfielder to help them out, and we are going to look very different. On 63 minutes, Gordon cut in. He shot narrowly off target. It was a vicious-looking effort. Could end up in top corner. Didn't. On 65, Botman flashed a header wide from a free kick. 66, Mac did really well to release Mo Salah, who didn't pull the trigger quick enough. It was an opportunity to equalise and. We ended up with a corner from which nothing happened, but you know, you're just thinking the chances like that aren't going to come around too often, are they? Thankfully, they did. Sixty-eight minutes, the corner was cleared, another corner, another corner, blah blah blah. It went around, we got nothing from them. Uh, Dom and Mac are, I, in my opinion, at this stage, Carl orders of multitude better than what we had in those positions before. Um, and it, again, to double down on point, I think it's utterly disgraceful by the club. The manager, whoever the fuck is in charge, not to give them a foil in terms of a defensive uh, cohort there and defen- a defensive lad who can sweep up behind them. I think it's absolute bullshit if we finish this window without that guy. Ridiculous. Like beyond any of the previous sins of negligence, this is just daft. These guys are class. On 71 minutes, Wilson, Longstaff and Barnes came on for Isaac Tonali and Gordon. 75, Almiron had a really good driving run and shot just off the post. We're lucky there, man. We should be dead and buried, really. 76, we bring on Darwin and Kwanzaa. Not many of us would have thought that that would have been the absolute changing thing that it became. Joel Mathub goes off. McAllister goes off. Harvey nearly gets Darwin in on 78 minutes. They broke then and they nearly got in too. <laughs> but unbelievably, on 81 minutes, there's a decent move. And as Jota True Ball is, is badly dealt with by Botman, he can't clear it. He's awkward. He's shitting himself, frankly, as Dave said earlier on, because of Darwin's pace and strength. And our man ends up in. He's in on the right side. He's got no right to finish. He's got no right to score. He's he's a long way out but he drives the ball across the keeper's face into the bottom corner on the far side. It's a wonder goal. It's a wonder goal, Carl, and I was I I don't think I I, I my throat hasn't recovered. So I've put a lot on the table there. I'm sorry, man, but I want you to talk about whatever you thought were the key moments
4: up to that. And then please feel free to revel in the goal itself. Okay. Um, I'm going to go backwards if that's all right with you, because that's what I was in my mind at the minute. So, what was in my head as he's running onto that. And I know that there's a lot of these, what I'm now about to say. So forgive me if it does take a minute for you to remember which one I'm on about, but Suarez against Norwich, a finish exactly the same as that, where he's right wide in the right side of the penalty box. And he goes really, really low and really true across the laces, right into the far bottom corner. It was a brilliant, brilliant finish, like you said. And because, literally almost exactly the same run and pass had happened just beforehand and he didn't get his touch quite right it was obviously a a higher pass in the first one but the ball went behind him you just want that first touch for Darwin to be really really good and set himself straight away to finish and obviously a little bit of fortune because it wasn't you know an inch perfect pass and and got a bit fortunate at the bottom and got himself in a bit of a, a tizz because he was facing the wrong way and tries to make a recovery run and then tries to get the ball, then just tries to do anything to stop Darwin sort of thing. So there's a lot going on there from a Newcastle perspective, which goes wrong. And, and that's okay. We can we can take a little bit of fortune whenever and however it comes. That's absolutely fine. But the finish is brilliant. There's no other way to say that. It's, it's a really, really true strike of the ball right into the far bottom corner. I don't think Nick Pope looked particularly great today. But even if he had been good Nick Pope, I, I don't think he would be saving that shot, to be perfectly honest. Um, the height and the placement of it, the, the ferocity of the strike itself, all of them really, really good. Um, I, I'm very, very pleased for Nunez because, like I said before, he's not really been given much of anything this season at all so far. And that stretches back into last season. So I'm very, very pleased for him. Um, I know what you're saying about like you know the changes were made, but... I, I, I am quite reluctant to offer too much praise to Jürgen Klopp, in all honesty, for today's results. I, I, I think that most of this, what we've got out of the game, has been achieved in spite of the decisions that he made. Um Go back to the first half one, Gakpo off was the obvious choice to make. Or if you want to be particularly bold, Endo off. Those were the only two calls, I think, that were possible. And leave Solvus Lyon and McAllister in the middle. But Gakpo, if you're down to 10 men, how are you going to play Either you need a really, really good hold-up player up top, or you need pace and ball-carrying ability. You obviously need lots and lots of work rate. There is none of those things that Diaz comes second against Gakpo other than height. And Gakpo on the left wing in a 4-4-1 is not using his height anyway. I, I just didn't understand the, the substitution of Diaz in the slightest. Then later on when you're making the second uh, changes, what, 25 minutes later, and Gakpo's going off, that's an acknowledgement that what you've chosen hasn't worked. But then you bring on Jota. Yeah, he's hard working and makes really good runs and he can pick up spaces and he's a good finisher. But again, you're not using him in that way in this kind of match, not in, in the way that the match was being played out at that point. So again, I just, I really didn't get the subs at all today. So when you turn to Darwin with what 12 minutes left, that's because there's nobody else there. Ben Doge is the only other attacking option you've got. It was another kid and you've just brought on one for his debut. So I'm really, really reluctant to, to put too much on the decision to bring on Darwin Nunez here. He's a £70 million striker. He's barely had a look in. He's won the game because he is a very good forward. He's not been in his best form at Liverpool. He's not had confidence or fit the right way or whatever. But I I still think this is poor use so far. And I think the decisions today were pretty bad, in in all honesty. I think we've, as I said before, won the game because of Ali at one end and Newcastle's profligacy and then Diaz doing his thing. Working back a little bit more... Again, for the substitutions, again, for the approach, our best route into the game up until Diaz, uh, sorry, uh, Darwin started doing his thing was set pieces, and yet we were attacking with Salah, who's you know, not an aerial monster, Jota, who is good in the air, but no, again, not particularly big, Harvey Elliott, Joel Matip, who averages a goal a season other than one year for the entire time he's been with us, and Joe Gomez, who has never scored. I, again, I don't get the approach that we had, the plan that we had, the way that we thought we were going to get back into the game with the players that we had on the pitch so that 30 minutes or so of the second half really frustrated me because i didn't see a way out of it for us you know newcastle should have scored a second goal that's that's the end of the argument you know other than Ali and woodwork and bad finishing they should have buried us and it is something that they as a team obviously and the 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 progress that they're making, they have to learn how to, how to win that kind of game against that kind of opponent because they don't lose very many at all. They're really, really good defensively. They're really well organized, but they do still have a little bit maybe of an inferiority complex or certain opposition or certain moments of games that they just don't quite finish off just yet. And, you know, I think they've lost what five or six games over the last year and a bit and three of them are now to us.
2: I listened to Harry talking to a Newcastle fan about this game on his rivalry con and the guy was very optimistic and the thing that they focused on was the energy that Newcastle would have and um, the pressing and how they're probably the best at it in the league at the moment and how in many ways it's depressing they may have taken over that from us but i'm curious carl just before i let you go on this little section of the of the game and yeah i'm like i say i'm clock watching here folks but i just want to get this from carl because we're talking about
4: it do do, do you feel
2: that there's a certain slipshod sort of uncertainty lack of plan going on here because i don't see it but i like I listen to you and Dave talk about football and signings and, um, positions and managers and staff and systems of play. And I'm a humble enough man to think that, well, I, I don't have the knowledge these two boys have on this and it's lovely to hear it talked out, uh, well, I can form my own opinions because I'm, I'm a mass Liverpool and football fan. And, and I, I fail to see what exactly it is we're doing at the moment. I just wonder what your take on that is, because there was a bit of a kamikaze feel to this. And it, look, it's it's easy to say that because Darwin comes on and, and, and Harry Sethi, who did the first row of the season with, with, with Dave and Guy, termed them a chaos agent. And I love that term. Um, and if you've got one of those in your locker, it's your absolute valid right to approach said chaos agents and go unleash hell uh, as a tactic. But I don't feel comfortable, Carl, that we're
4: that we have a coherent approach to this season. Yeah, look, this kind of win is not sustainable and that's what you're talking about because Liverpool have had such a clear way of winning a lot of games over the last few years and you can't go out and play this game 20 times and win 19 of them. That's what you're talking about here, right? It's not a sustainable approach to winning matches. None of the games that we've had so far are. And that goes again back to last season. Yeah, we're trying to Whatever it is, you know, build through the midfield or get, you know, a six player attack and overload in certain positions. But there isn't at the minute a a structured way and a repetitive way of doing that. There just isn't. You know, Newcastle had far more continuity and cohesion about the way they attack today than we did. There's no question of that. They created, let's say, five openings at least by building up play from fullback into one of the either the six or the eights and then into the wide forwards who were... In a, in a sort of a narrow attack and channel angle. And then either playing across or that forward cuts in and shoots. Multiple chances that way. How many chances, other than Darwin's two goals and the one that he missed, all of which are condensed into the last 12 minutes as we chase the result, did we build up in the same way over and over again? You can't pick out two similar opportunities that we had. And that's where we are at the minute. We we, we are lacking a very, very clear build-up plan some of the build-up play is excellent don't get me wrong it's brilliant i love i love when a couple of times this season we've been like really fast interchange good rotation of positions and like obviously they are all, all very technically gifted players so you can see sometimes it looks great but it's not repeated and it's not it's not inbuilt it's not an automation at the minute and so i don't love the way that we are at the minute, but overall, I don't care what formation we play. I do care about the setup. I do care about the off the ball positional work. I do care about how many we have in each part of the pitch. So whether it is a, a box or a three four three or a four two three, I don't really give a shit about any of that. I care about the spaces and the alignments and the build-up play between, you know, midfield and, and fullbacks or, or number eights and the forwards or the rotation of positions and where people are positioned and whose job it is to cover different defensive transition phases and at the minute I see none of that at Liverpool and obviously you know you talk about you being humble obviously we have to yes we have to assume that there is a plan and that the coaches know exactly what they want to achieve it would be stupid of us to assume otherwise but we're not seeing it we're not seeing a plan enforced or successfully implemented at the minute and we are months on from the start of this now that's the concern that I really have we're not seeing a change we're not seeing a progression or an improvement in that manner. And that's why at the minute I hate what we're doing because it is just so open so often and it's so predictable you can see what's coming. So as good as some of the attack and play is, as thrilling as these wins are, like again, we go back to the emotion that you take in a victory like this and that's a big part of what we like football for but it's not sustainable you can't go out and win again against Aston Villa like this and then again the following week after the international break and again and again and again and ultimately if we want to win lots and lots of trophies you have to have a much better way of being
2: better way of being love it Um, really appreciate that breakdown it's exactly what I was hoping you would do and I'll be back to you for your final thoughts in a minute. Um, I'm going to go to Dave for the rest of the game. We'll finish with his. I'm going to tell you both that we've got, in my opinion, about eight or nine minutes left. So we're going to keep this as quick as we can. Dave, in terms of what's left, you get to have the absolute joy of talking about the fact that we won this weird-ass game after they uh, after we equalized. They brought Anderson for Joe Linton. the the bomb-proof Joe Linton. There was an 83rd minute opportunity for us. Jota had a shot blocked after 1-2 with Darwin, who was looking very busy, very interested in being the main man. On 84 minutes, it was yellow for Dom. Uh, We saw a sub on 85. Uh, Matt Target came on for Botman, who doesn't look good going off there 88 minutes long staff had a long shot but Ali was there to take it well and safely I think 5 minutes were added in this new uh, paradigm in which we exist a good foul was drawn by Jota on 91, on 92 Ali did reasonably well to come out and deal with a long staff flick not reasonably very well come out and deal with a long staff flick uh, I, I think it would be absolutely remiss of us if we don't uh, uh, i do it here Ali's the best goalkeeper in the world and we're so lucky to have him and um, he's the reason why we got a chance to win this game. And we did get a chance to win the game because on the 93rd minute, uh, Mo puts a through ball into Darwin on the right hand side. It's almost a carbon copy in terms of like the position situation of the first one and his finish is as unreal as the first one was across the keeper's face into the bottom corner absolutely outrageous finish again another wonderful um goal from a liverpool perspective uh, i loved the fact that a couple of minutes after that Trent was cheering and you know fucking fist bumping and 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 and, and, and absolutely reveling in the fact that we want to throw in on the 95th minute because, you know, we we're trying to play the clock down. Um, there was a late free kick, which is a bit of a nightmare for us to endure, but it ended up with, I think, Nick Pope heading over. Um, but we've come out of that goal. We've come out of that game, excuse me, uh, Dave, with a win, with the Darwin-Nunes double. Um, a lot of us want to see this kid play more uh, the lad himself is absolutely wonderful in terms of pure chaos. But he also today perhaps has taken a step forward into the safe zone with Jurgen Klopp where, you know, David Karigi needed to do it. let of lads did do it. you got to prove yourself uh and there's two massive moments tonight one after another where we go from salvaging a draw fucking amazing to winning a game dreamland so talk to me about the end of that game i'm going to come back to you in a minute for your final thoughts So don't go too wild in terms of sum up talk to me about that specific section
0: i don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide ha <laughs> Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit liberty shield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
3: That goal could well be the making of that kid at this club. Like, we've been, I think, all quite. Enthused by some of what we've seen from Darwin since he arrived, and he arrived for you know a huge set, a sum of money and obviously, because another striker arrived in the league last summer for you know an all, a a significant amount of money as well, there was comparisons made between the two and you know if you just base it on transfer fees, the other striker cost quite a bit less than Darwin, but stupid people do that you need to factor in the entire cost of deals and et cetera, et cetera, and the comparisons were always foolish and last season he was a victim of how porous we were he was a victim of how stodgy we got and we didn't give him the best opportunity to really make an impact he still did well but not to the extent that he's capable of this season though I do feel like we've put in place players who can really impact the game through him, not just by themselves, but also through him with their creativity. And you see it today with the two goals. And it's not just those two goals. Before the first goal, he makes a brilliant run. And his first touch just isn't quite right. But he retains possession and whatever. The run for the first goal is excellent. The run for this goal is excellent. There's another run he makes going from right to left where he links up with Jota and nearly creates a chance with him. That kind of elite number nine movement, when you've got players in your squad of the creative calibre of Trent, Salah, McAllister, Zabaslai, those players are really going to enjoy playing with Darwin when it's an even playing field and we've got 11 versus 11 and we can play our game, whatever our game might be that second goal, he scores that second goal because he scored the first goal. That's, that's my thinking on it. the first goal. Dead, right. Dead, right. Lifts the confidence. The second yeah. goal is just fantastic. Yeah. And I, I do think with Darwin, Carol mentioned the Suarez goal against Norwich earlier and I was watching it and I was thinking Suarez as well, but I was thinking more in, Do you remember when we first got Suarez and he just missed an infuriating amount of chances because he was trying to overcomplicate things? And when he really simplified things and it was like one touch and shoot, then he just exploded and then everything else started to work. Now, Darwin will never be Suarez because they're totally different types of players. And he's just not that caliber of of talent. Darwin is much more Cavani than Suarez, but I actually saw uh, John O'Sullivan, known to those on Twitter as the Notorious JOS, compare him a little bit to, say say he was like a, a South American Jamie Vardy. And I thought, you know what? That might be it. Jamie Vardy's a, a, quite a limited player in a lot of ways. And his game is a little bit crude and a little bit rudimentary, but what he does, he does very effectively. He doesn't bother with any of the stuff he can't do. Now, Vardy's maybe a little bit better at running with the ball than than Darwin, but he makes the same runs over and over and over again. And he does the same things and his teammates just know if I put the ball there, he is going to go for that ball. And I do think with Darwin, we might start to find that where his teammates start to anticipate him and the runs that he makes on instinct and by, you know, seeing what's around him. I think we could really see Darwin do something impressive this year that second goal is a fantastic finish. A fantastic finish.
2: I'm hoping i we have a situation where he turns into some sort of hybrid batistuta. Yeah. That's what that's what yeah. I'm that's what I'm I'm hoping he turns into. A lad who just shoot on sight um, because most of the goal, most of the shots that you take will be on target because you're a mad bastard.
3: Yeah, uh, and, that's it. And, and
2: And that's exactly what I'm looking
3: And when for. you don't take too many touches and you don't overthink things, your natural ability will help you get them. Remember last year against City in that cup game where he had like three or four chances and he kind of hooked them all wide, but he had like far too much time for all of them. I kind of feel like when he's rushed, when he's under pressure, that's sort of where he's at his best. Yeah. So I mean, a lot, a lot of our lads are like that. Yeah.
2: Jota's Jota's like that. To be fair to the long lamented Henderson, he was like that. If you don't give them time,
3: old school Henderson playing off instinct, thirteen, fourteen, fourteen, 100%. seventeen era. That Jordan Henderson was a much better, much better player than anything we saw in the Klopp era and I don't care what people say about the title winning season he was good for four months he was legitimately good for 18 months from midway through the 13-14 season to the end of 14-15 because he stopped fucking thinking he just played on instinct and the other players took more of the ball away from him so everything with him was one and two touch on the move on the move playing off the ball when we had possession on the ball when we didn't and we maximized his abilities we can find ways to do it with Darwin as well that second goal the first one's brilliant like it's brilliant but the second one because pope comes out to meet him it's a narrower angle i think it's a, I think it's a better finish yeah
2: I, did, I i agree completely if you want to go back there for your wrap up in a second please do i want to keep this massive fucking podcast to ninety at the mo- at the most, Carl. I'm going to come back to you to give you a wrap up thoughts now, as you well know, was coming. Um, anything you want to talk about in terms of whatever was left in the match? Feel free to do that, but just give us an overall finish as well.
4: Um, no, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Jarl Kwanza. Um Obviously, a Liverpool baby for him is a big enough thing as it is. The situation of the match was also a big thing The place, the stadium to play a, a place like that against fans like that all of those things are, are massive I don't think we should overlook it um, great share great also obviously the fact that later late 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 after the two goals we did come under a little bit of pressure I couldn't honestly pick out right. a thing he did or didn't do so I think that's probably the the best thing that you want as a young centre-back coming in that kind of occasion is just to not put any kind of a foot wrong and I don't think he did that whatsoever so um, brilliant, because you know, by the looks of things, he may well be needed again before the international. Out, so. um, nice to see that uh, Klopp, obviously, in the lead up to this game, was saying, Yeah, we have to be lucky with our centre backs. And then Canate got injured, and then Van Dyke's been sent off, so we're back to almost not
3: letting that Phillips leave yet again, I presume. And potentially um, Joel, Joel Matip might have got hurt today as well. Oh, how great. Cool.
4: Right, Jarrell straight in against Aston Villa then. On we go. Uh, no, nothing else apart from that. I think, like I said at the beginning, you absolutely take the emotion. You absolutely take the points. You take the win. You take whatever circumstance needed when you're down to 10 and losing the game 1-0 if you get the three points at the end of it. And hopefully, you know, things are taken from this game. Lessons, decisions, um, confidence, um, just belief, self-belief. We can take a lot from the resilience that, like I said at the beginning, quite a few players showed. Nobody really gave up at any points or anything like that. So, yeah, we, t- we take everything that we can and we go on. Do you believe
2: lessons have been learned, Carl? I'm gonna put you in the spot here. By who? The management.
4: Uh, I, I believe Darwin will start against Aston Villa. Other ones? <laughs> other other lessons? We'll see. <laughs> uh let people know what's coming up from you during the week. I will probably write something in a little bit more length on this and possibly on Darwin if it's not done to death by everybody else before I start working again on Tuesday. Um don't even know what's coming up we'll have a couple of pods obviously scouted wise um one during the week and then another before aston villa uh, anything else i will just make up as i go along i believe you're lost in the wilds of my homeland
2: i hope you go on to have several several pints tonight and enjoy your evening carl thank you for your contribution dave to finish the show what's your wrap-up thoughts
3: um well I have six in in total that I'd like Jesus to hit. Jesus Christ, man. We uh,
2: said so, we'd stick to ninety minutes.
3: Yeah, make, it's fine. We're only about hundred and twenty-five minutes in, so we're fine. I've got I've got a couple minutes here. Bullet uh, points, motherfucker. Bullet points. Very right, bullet points, that's fine. Carlos Carlos hit the first one. He's hit the first one, which is Gerald Kwanzaa. To see a kid come into that, that atmosphere, and Newcastle is one of the louder stadiums in the country, that situation, the team won down. 10 men and performed the way he did. I thought it was, I thought it, it said a lot about his character. As Carol said, he didn't have a lot to do, but I thought what he did was pretty impressive. Um, And then the first thing he did was really aggressively just boot the ball out of play, which I'm all on board with. Love that. Uh, Clear your lines. Clear your lines, motherfucker. Second point was Joe Gomez uh, thrown into the game, obviously after the red card, awkward situation, had a couple of shaky moments, one which Sandro Tonali ran away from him, which is concerning because Tonali's not fleet of foot and Gomez used to be rapid. So that did concern me. However, there was a moment in the second half where Harvey Barnes broke in on their left-hand side. Kwanzaa got caught slightly up. Trent was doing silly things. Harvey, Harvey Elliott gave the ball away and Harvey Barnes broke through. And Gomez came across, and it is magnificent defending. It is absolutely outstanding defending. He comes across, he doesn't commit, he narrows the angle, and then he gets his block in. And it is tremendous defending. So massive credit to Joe Gomez on that, because if that goes in, we don't come back and win the game. Uh, Next point is Alisson. Just everything that you said earlier, the best goalkeeper in the world. Please never, ever leave. Uh, Eddie Howe. So Eddie Howe reminds me of the rich kid at school who's, you know, got some sort of stunted growth thing and has short man syndrome and hangs around with, like, a bunch of bigger lads and starts rows and then they all have to pile in and win the rows for them. That's kind of what he reminds me of, and that smug little face where he'd hide behind his bigger mates. But you know that eventually... Eventually, his mates are going to think, don't really want to get punched in the face for this guy anymore. And they're going to take his head and flush it into a toilet somewhere. That's what Eddie Howe reminds me of. Uh, his mate, Tyndall, is a twat. Yeah. And uh, other than other than our assistant manager is the most to the front assistant manager anywhere in England. Like these two, him and Linders, they have main character syndrome. They think it's all about them. And uh, it's just... It, it, it bothers me with Tyndall because, well, like, you've done nothing in the game. You've been assistant to a fella who's won nothing. And the most notable thing you've done so far is get relegated at Bournemouth. Um, I had some criticism of Klopp lined up, but I'm just going to pass on it for today. Because we won. He hit the chaos button and we won. And when when the Newcastle bench started demanding a red card for Trent after the foul on Gordon, when he'd already been booked and Klopp started shouting back at them, he tried to shush Jürgen. And after our second goal today, Jürgen has turned around and put his finger to his lips and shushed him, which is both magnificent and also, you know, fitting. Um, and the final thing I want to say is I want a moment here about Dominic Sabal's yes, because we have on our hands an absolutely phenomenal footballer because you know what, Trev, it's not just the ability on the ball is there for everyone to see. Everybody can watch and play. The technical level is incredibly high. He He glides across the ground. He can play it slow. He can speed it up. He's got everything. He's got power. Everything you want on the ball in possession is there. But what I'm really impressed by is off the ball. Yes, Dave. He'll kick you. He'll elbow you. Yes, will in your way. He'll, he'll kick fucking people. Shit house. He is a shithouse. That's the thing. He is not afraid of anybody. And the graft he puts in. The level of graft he's put in now in back-to-back games, and we've gone down to 10 men, playing in central midfield, which is not in a, in a double pivot and remember, played the last twenty minutes of that game in a double pivot with Harvey Elliott. Jesus' he's not a midfield player. Fuck. Like we ended that game playing a back four, Harvey and Dominic as a double pivot, both of back. whom are attacking midfielders. A back four with Kwanzaa and Poor El Robo, who's like who's having a stinker, Gomez, not- who's in from the cold, and Trent, who's had a stinker. <sighs> so complete chaos at the back. Those two boys in midfield and Mo and Jota either side of Darwin. So three forward players. That's what we ended the game with. And yet it felt like it it was working because Dominic was able to be that physical being in midfield. He was able to make the challenges, close down people, cut off passing lanes. There's a video of uh, the players going back into the dressing room and Virgil greeting them. And I don't think Dominic could have walked more than five feet more. He is absolutely shattered. And I've seen Dan Kennett tweet out that Dominic was involved in 20 ground jewels today. And Dan says he doesn't remember a Liverpool player um being involved in as many. Which is, it, it says it all. Now, somebody said that 27 different players did it last year. But that's... By the by, a lot of them are kind of, you know, grocs and a lot of them are dribblers. He's not either. But I just thought today he was he was phenomenal. Um, Like didn't didn't have the huge amount of involvement on the ground that he'd like, but just never, ever stopped running. Was, you know, put in five to ta- three tackles or one three tackles, I should say, did all the defensive work. And, and the thing is, because some of it's unnatural to him some of the stats won't be in his favor like he gets dribbled back past five times but the fact that he's in position to get dribbled past five times is what is is positive to me he's putting in those yards so huge huge credit to him i think he's been our best player by a country mile this season um and and then yeah that's it darwin darwin gets us the win and and we can all move on
2: we can move on and it's actually a very very nice return points to boys on the first three games that we'd all have taken and given what we thought we were can I just be the first to say there's a lot of pressure on the next few days to give those guys that we've been talking about the support that they need to actually have a chance to pretend to be league title contenders are not far off it there's wonderful footballers at our club and all they need is the sort of platform to be allowed to go off and do that thing and um, I'm sorry but I'm going to be very very fucking angry if we don't do that and if that makes me a bad fan and you a day out merchant or whatever I don't care labels bollocks I think most of us understand that All we want to do is see our club doing well. And we're so close to it, man. We're so close to it. Dave, it's been great talking to you. I've already lost Carl, who's gone off into the wilderness. Guy has been producing. I've been Trev Denny. It's been raw. We're back. It's not too bad, to be fair. An absolutely wonderful win. And we'll take it every single time. And we'll be back with you for the next one.